In this passage we've got here tonight is a pretty striking word. I say striking or startling kind of concept. Check this out. It's possible to have the kind of faith or belief in God that in the end you find yourself on the final day before God hearing the words, you fool. It's possible to have faith in God, but to have him say, you fool, and end up with the same wretched eternal fate as those who are obvious enemies of God. You might have picked up there in verse 19 about the demons and their belief in God. This is to say there's a kind of faith or belief in God that doesn't work. It doesn't work to save you. It's a counterfeit faith or a knockoff faith. It's a fake faith. And so this week is a chance for us to examine our faith. And I'm never going to pretend for that to be an easy thing. We tend to assume that what we've got is genuine and legit, although some of you are here and you're new to this and you're open about the fact that you are yet to get it. We love you. It's so good to have you here with us. In many ways, we exist very much for you, that you would consider the things of Jesus, but then one day come to put your trust in Jesus with us. But the rest of you, you may easily, this is what we can do, just assume that the faith you've got Of course, it's legit. This is an opportunity for us to examine and make sure that what you've got is the real deal. Yeah? James basically leads us through a bit of a comparison here uh, between what I'm going to call fake faith and real faith. And, And he gives us two kinds of, or two examples of a fake kind of faith that will do you no good in the end. It will not save you. It might look okay, it might sound okay, but it's, it's not the real deal. We'll get two examples of that and that'll help us kind of consider together the real deal. Fake faith, number one, if you're taking notes, this is going to be easy for you. Fake faith, number one. Um, I might call this all bark, no bite or... All sizzle, no steak, something like that. Yeah. Um, Look at verses 14 through to 17. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied with action, is dead. Catch the example of the first kind of fake faith. It's the person who sees need and even feels empathy towards need for others in their church community and, and they might even speak kind words, like, what does this person here say? Oh, look, you know, go well, be well fed, yes, be warm, brother. You know, it's like, it's, it's feeling and even saying kind of words, but not actually doing anything about it. Yeah? It kind of sounds good, looks good, but it's fake. It's a fake faith. It's a dead faith. It's actually got no substance to it. It's all talk 
no action. It's just a facade. Another way to call it is this. Um, it's, it's all feelings, no follow-through. Feelings without follow-through and action and change. And, and so this example is in regards to a brother or sister in need in the church. But we can broaden the concept to just the kind of person that sees and feels deeply about things and even speaks words expressing how they feel but nothing practical comes from their feelings. All feelings and words without any follow-through action and change. It might be that you feel empathy for others and say nice things but you do very little to ever help. A little that kind of costs you sacrificially to put some rubber on the road, you know. It might even be that you sometimes feel sad about your own sin, yeah? Sorrow for how your sin wrecks your life, but there's actually no repentance. There's no change. You're really just sad about how your mistakes keep wrecking your life. You're not actually feeling sorrow for God and his reputation and how your sin affects him. This is another example. Strong feelings. Oh, I wish I wasn't like that. I wish I didn't keep doing that. Um, But there's nothing that comes from those feelings. There's no decisions. There's no real repentance. There's no change. It's, It's likely a form of fake faith. It can even be that you have feelings as you come to church, and these are the kind of feelings that we actually want to have when we're together. But it's it's possible you can come to church and actually feel really uplifted as you sing. It might even be that you have weeks where you feel really emotionally engaged in what you're singing and you break down in tears and you you get really caught up in the emotions, which, which, which is what we want. That's why we sing. You know, singing is meant to actually help the truth, help us feel the truth of God. But it's possible to come and sing and be emotionally engaged and be saying amen to all the prayers, but then to go out into your week and to have none of that worship or emotional engagement um, affect the way you live in any way. You know, it's one thing to worship when you're here. It's another thing to worship all week long with an obedient, sacrificial life that Jesus desires from us. That, that is your daily worship of him, is to actually obey him. It's to sacrifice for him. It's to keep repenting of your sin and changing and taking life very seriously for him every day. That's your worship. It's a, you know, as Paul describes in Romans 12, you know, your, your real act of spiritual worship is to be a living sacrifice. That's a daily kind of thing. It's possible to be really, to feel really intensely as we sing, as we pray, as we look at the word together. It might be that you hear the preacher and you feel convicted by what is said and you write things down on your paper and you, and you say to the preacher, that was really helpful and he feels good about himself because you said that, you know. Or, no. Um, it's, I don't know where that went. Convicted by the sermon, thinking, yeah, that really needs to change. You might put things in that box, um, but then it doesn't actually impact any decisions you make. You know, you feel convicted, but your calendar keeps looking the same. 
You're still doing the same things with the same amount of time and energy. It doesn't affect your decisions, the bigger ones, the smaller ones. It doesn't affect what you do with your finances, you know? Convicted, feeling strongly about what you've heard in the word, but there's no follow-through. Think back over the, next, over the last six months, 12 months, three years, 10 years. Have you had lots of feelings and in convictions and engagements, but it's amounted to very little change, actual change in your life? Because that could be evidence that your faith is fake. That's pretty hard to hear, isn't it? It's not me saying it, all right? Now, you might say, no, 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 no. I'm positive that the faith that I've got is just the same as the faith that my parents had. Are you sure that their faith was genuine? Because here's what we can easily do, is we go through life feeling okay about ourselves because, because of the environment we've had growing up. Maybe you've, you've had a version of faith in your home. Maybe you even went to a Christian school where it was modelled to you. Maybe in church you've had leaders over you. And that's usually how we put our picture together about what real faith looks like. And maybe you've had genuine faith modelled to you, so you really get it. But you want to make sure that what's been modelled to you is real. Otherwise, you can go through your whole life going, yeah, yeah, I've got it, same as mum and dad's. But is their faith genuine? That's almost an offensive question to ask a little bit, but it's one worth asking, lest you get to heaven and God goes, you fool, and you're like, what are you talking about? I'm a a bald one, you know, like I'm part of this family and we've always been, it's like, no, no, this... Your faith wasn't real. It's pretty heavy. It's, it's worth examining your faith. Is it fake? And here's the first type of fake faith. Feelings and words without any real traction in practical, daily decisions, big decisions, small decisions, calendar, decisions that affect your life. Second kind of fake faith. Sorry if you're feeling a little bit rattled right now. That's, that's what James is trying to do. He's trying to rattle us because I tell you what, if you're going to be rattled by anything in your life, it ought to be over examining this stuff because this has an eternal consequence. Yeah. So second type of fake faith, I'm going to call this one Bible trivia faith. All right? That's what I want to call it. Um, it's the concept of like, having an intellectual understanding, even being a bit of an expert, knowing all the information about God and the Bible. You know, your faith is basically just stuff about God um, without actually knowing God. You know stuff about him, but you don't really know him. Yeah? Look at verse 18 and 19. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. And look at verse 19. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. This is one of those haunting verses. You believe there is one God. Oh, good, James says sarcastically. Yeah, the demons believe that too. And they shudder, meaning it's, it's, it's not going to do them any good in the end, yeah? It, when he says you believe there's one God, that's like a, almost like a shorthand for 
orthodox biblical belief. Apparently demons are pretty orthodox in what they believe about God as well. This is the person who says, um, um, yeah, I believe there's one God, um, not many gods, one God, and I believe that that God is the God of the Bible. Um, I believe he's the one who made the world and made me, and, and that's your belief. Um, and, and then we get told here, yeah, demons believe that too. In fact, even more than that, demons, demons will know there's one God who made the world. They also know and believe that that one God did send his son and, and, and that son died on the cross and rose again from the dead. The demons believe that that is true. Demons are one of the first ones to recognise Jesus in his earthly ministry and say, oh, is it time? Like, is it time now for us to be destroyed? They knew exactly who he was. They, they know what's coming. Their belief about God is pretty accurate. It's orthodox. They know all about Jesus, yet it will do them no good. How is that? How is it that the person can have a belief about the things about God, but it does them no good? Well, apparently it's possible. I want to call it the Bible trivia faith. You, you know stuff about God. You know stuff about the Bible. You might even know all the books of the Bible in order, which I've never figured out how to do, but maybe you can do that. And on a Bible trivia night, you got all the answers to Isaiah and Hezekiah and Ezra, you know, Rahab. You know, you know all the stories. You've been taught the stories. You're the first, you were the first one through the years, you know, to put your hand up in Sunday school class or put your hand up at school if you're at a Christian school. But in church, you can, in Bible study, you're like, yeah, you got the answers. Everyone looks to you because you, you know all the stuff. You've been taught well. And maybe you've even read theology or maybe even been to Bible college. And you know what justification is and predestination is and transubstantiations and all the Asians. You know, you know them all and you can chart them all and... But it's just knowledge about God that will do you no good in the end. It's a fake faith. And there is a huge eternal difference between knowing about God and really knowing God. Yeah? That's the big difference. You can know about him, but do you really know him? Did you notice the subtle language there in verse 19 when we read it? It says, you believe that there is one God. I think that's worth noticing, that little word. You believe that there is one God. I, I, I want to suggest that there's a big difference between believing that there is one God and believing in one God. To believe in God is, is, is almost the opposite of believing that there is a God because it's not just about information. To believe in God is actually to entrust yourself to that God and to not just have information but to actually give yourself to the God who is true. You know? This is heading us towards real faith and I just want to spend a few minutes now seeing what James has got to say to us about what real, legit, genuine faith is. If, if that's two examples of fake faith, feelings without follow-through, 
and um, thinking, you know, without relationship, you might call it, yeah? Then what's the real deal and how can you make sure you've got it? Well, I'll I'll just point out two things that I think is here. Um, Real faith in God, real faith in Jesus is personal and relational and it's practical and sacrificial. Those two things. And way more, but I think there are two key things that you can see here. Personal and relational, practical and sacrificial. Can we just see what James has got to say there? Um, real faith. This is what you've got to make sure you've got. And um, personal and relational. Did you notice there in verse 23, that there's so much here, and because I'm needing to preach a shorter sermon because we did that announcement up Talking about it going into everything, but I, I, I'm trying to pick the big eyes out of it. Verse 23, do you notice that language there about Abraham? And we'll talk about him in just a minute. But it says, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. Did you read that? That's, that's, it's a beautiful little word. It's like a little window into, in, into one of the, the big realities of what real faith is. Um, that word friend um, that doesn't mean that Abraham or someone with real faith just is just real chummy with God. You know, that's usually the way we use friendship. Yeah, we hang out a lot. We knock around together. That's what we mean by friendship. Now, when the Bible uses friendship, it's, it's, it's got another whole realm of things to talk about. But it at least flags for us that this is something relational, that this is something personal. A genuine faith will mean that there is connection with God that's not simply like earthly friendships, but a connection and a union that is deep and real and genuine. A real faith will have that. It'll be personal and relational. You know, we pick up on that concept, um, the concept of being connected with God and really genuinely united to him relationally comes from how we get saved. Um, Back in chapter 1, verse 18, you know, that key verse that anchors the whole book in grace. James tells us how we get saved and he says, God chooses to give you birth. And that concept of how you become a Christian is through birth, new spiritual birth, is, is why we get brought into relationship. Because if you've become a Christian, if you've come to put your trust in Jesus, it's because God has worked in you by his Holy Spirit to give you new birth that you would be able to understand the gospel and receive it. And as he's come to live in you by his Holy Spirit, he's changed you from the inside out. And because he now lives in you by his spirit, you're connected with him intricately. You have the spirit of Christ now in you. That joins you to Jesus. It unites you to God in such a comprehensive way that there is now a deep personal relationship that you are to learn to live in. But if there is no evidence in your Christian life of a real personal relationship with God, it might be cause to ask the question, well, has has he come to live in me by his spirit? Has this happened for me yet? Have I been given this birth that the Bible talks about? Because apparently when you get this birth, there's a whole new you. The, The old you dies and the new you that's now connected with Jesus begins something that's very real. It's relationship. It's personal. 
And if you've called yourself a Christian for many, many years and you've heard people like me rabbit on about this and it's always, you've always just thought, yeah, I think they're just emotional people. I think they're just relational people. I get the facts. No, no, God is a relationship in himself and he's bringing us into that community, Father, Son and Spirit. That's at the centre of what this is. This is not just information that leads to a good lifestyle choice. This is to be connected with the one who made you for him to live with him for all eternity. It's personal. It's relational. It's not just a feeling that comes and goes, although feelings do come and go. It's not just a thinking that's accurate about information. It's real, deep, new, spiritual life connected to Jesus that gives you a whole new identity and makes him your brother and changes the course of your life. It involves personal surrender and submission to him. It involves genuinely entrusting yourself to Jesus as your Lord. It's not just belief about God, it's belief in him. Have you entrusted yourself to him? Have you got him yet? Or have you just got stuff about him? Yeah? Because real faith is personal and relational. And at this point, you might be just thinking, well, I don't know how to get it. Well, your first step in trying to figure out how to get it is to understand and admit that you haven't got it right now and be humble enough to go, yeah, actually, I don't think that's my reality, but that's what I want if that's what's real and that's what this is about. Take time. Real faith is personal and relational. And secondly, I'll say real faith is practical and sacrificial. You know, it's got works. It's got actions that go with it. Daily works and deeds and actions that display that your faith is real. And apparently without these deeds and works and actions, um, it, it can be an indicator that your faith is dead. Yep. Look at verse 18, how James says it there. It's really stark. Halfway through he says, Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. It's not simply feelings and thoughts. It's real action. One way to describe it is this, is to say that real faith is faith that works. Meaning it works its way out in your life with deeds and actions. And, you know, to kind of really push hard on this point, James gives us pretty, some pretty extreme language, maybe a little bit of hyperbole in his language, but he really wants us to catch it. Look at verse 26. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. That's pretty strong. Look, look at verse 24. Here's the one that's usually often quite jarring for us. Um, verse 24, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. That's a little jarring if you know your Bible. <laughs> yeah. Because you know in Ephesians it says we're saved by grace, not by works. And you go to Romans and you hear that we're justified by faith apart from the works of the law. 
And so we understand the big message of the Bible is that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glo- through the word alone, for the glory of God alone. But, but what James is bringing to us here, like what does it mean? I, I think James is pressing the point home. Yes, it's faith alone that saves. He's a grace man, chapter 1, verse 18. It's faith alone that saves. But real saving faith is never alone. It's always accompanied with works. Sacrificial, practical deeds and works that display a real faith. Yeah? He gives the example of Abraham and Rahab. I'm not going to be able to go into all the details. But let me at least just point out a few things here. Look at verses 21 and 22. He takes us back to Abraham. Um, Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You, you see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did and the scripture was fulfilled. I'll pause there for a minute. What does that, what does that mean that he's... he's um, that his faith and actually, oh no, uh, that he, what does it say, he's considered righteous for what he did. Well, it's speaking about the action of being willing to offer his son Isaac to be sacrificed, which is another whole thing to spend time thinking into. But he had faith to do that, or he was, he was working out his faith in sacrificial obedience towards God, a willingness to sacrifice much to actually make his faith visible. A faith that we're told that he actually is counted as having as genuine, you know, 15 years earlier when he believed God's promise to him in Genesis 15. Abraham's faith is made complete in the sense that his faith is made visible by his actions. And his actions were sacrificial. God pulls him back from it, but he's willing to. Verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he called God his friend. You know, Abraham is previously declared righteous with God simply by his faith in that he believed God and it's 15 years later he's willing to act in a way that's sacrificial. As a bit of a side note, um, James is dealing with a slightly different issue from what Paul is dealing with in his letters. And James uses the word righteousness or justified, which is the same Greek word, in a different way from how Paul uses it. That's kind of on the by and by, on the way through. Wish we had time to do that. But here's the big point. Real faith is always displayed by a life of sacrificial actions. It's faith that's got legs. Genuine faith walks, runs, moves, changes, lives, acts. A life of obedient, sacrificial service is evidence of real faith. And just to finish on this, you know, so far in the book of James, which is, we've been given a whole heap of really practical instructions about the Christian life. Um, it's like practical works for the Christian. Yep. But what it looks like to live out a genuine faith. 
let me just remind you of the few things we've seen over the last few weeks. And, and you ask yourself the question, you ever done anything with these yet? Has there actually been anything that's happened yet? Or each week have I just been thinking, yep, I sh- yep that should happen in my life. Are you quick to listen? And particularly, are you quick to listen to the word of God? And do what it says? Are you growing in your ability to persevere through hardship, clinging to God, clinging to your faith and the goodness of God? Are you practicing self-control in regards to your tongue? Do you muzzle up? Self-control in regards to anger? Are you developing a long wick? Are you, last week we looked at working hard to avoid favouritism. Are you determined to love and serve those who cannot give you anything in return? This week, Abraham's example, are you willing to embrace massive sacrifice for Jesus? There's just a few of the things James has touched on. He's got more for us in this book. But there's some of the works, some of the deeds. Is there evidence of a real faith in your life? Is your faith genuine? And you might be hearing this and and having a moment of celebration, thinking absolutely it is. Stacks of evidence. If that's not you, please don't lose this moment of clarity that you might have just been given. And if you've got a suspicion that your faith might be fake, um, turn from it. Walk away from your fake faith and try and figure out how to begin a real one, a genuine faith that actually works and works to save you. Before I pray, I'm just going to give you a moment to think and pray and maybe write. You might want to scribble something in that box. You might want to... I'll just stop talking and just give you a, give you a moment and then I'll pray. God, we know that you are real. We know that you are legit. You're the real deal. And here we are. Oh, Lord, would it be the case that we and many, many more would be given the gift of real and genuine faith? Lord, those who are convinced they have it here tonight, help them celebrate and go on clinging to their faith in you and enjoying trusting in you and entrusting themselves to you in many, many more ways as the days and months and years tick by for your glory. But Lord, for those who are concerned, would you help them to act? Would you help them to take this moment seriously? Would you help them to walk away from a fake faith? Would you help them to come to you and get what is genuine and real? Please, Lord, do this by your spirit. We're desperately in need. Amen.